People often ask me, how come I'm in such good shape at my very old age? And I, give you, I have usually given the, regu the regular answers. Luck is the biggest one. I wasn't hit by a truck. I wasn't in a major accident. Nobody shot me. Uh, genetics. My parents died very young of cancer and heart disease, but still I could have good genes. Diet, exercise, I learned about uh, organic food and vitamins when I was only 19, and I listened, and I've exercised. But now I'm going to add another thing, and that's body psychotherapy and an active sexual life. And I attribute some of my flexibility to my work with body psychotherapy. Of course, people aren't going to know what I'm talking about when I say that, so then I'll have to explain it, and then people will know a little bit more about body psychotherapy. I bumped into the work of Dr. Wilhelm Reich after having had a pretty thorough education in standard methods of therapy. I studied at the Washington School I worked with Dr. Nathan Ackerman in his private office when he was developing family therapy. I worked with them at the uh, New York Hospital Pain Whitney Clinic. But when I learned about Reich's work, I became very interested in it because it involved the body. And I lived through what happened to him. He's the only person to have had his books burned by the Nazis and the United States and to be on Russia's top hit list. I was there when his books were burned and his experimental materials chopped up. I did not turn in my books to the FDA and I still have an original organ energy accumulator that was made in Oregon in 1949. I still sleep under a foregone energy blanket. Maybe it's helpful. I think it is, but it's nice and warm and it doesn't do me any harm. There was a time before the FDA got at Reich when Reich thought, and he, he learned that he was wrong about it, that foregone energy might somehow diminish the effects of radiation from nuclear bombs. And I had the good fortune of knowing Mrs. Roosevelt because I had been sent as a student leader to their home in Campobello, Canada when I was still in college. So she was willing to meet with an organ therapist. She took the information that which she was given to Robert Oppenheimer and he wrote back that he thought it was probably a hoax. Because in the letter she wrote to me, she said she couldn't get in touch with Mr. Baruch. She wanted to talk to, to Bernard Baruch, but he was away or something, so she couldn't get information from him. She apologized, but she said, this is what I, what I was able to find. You've asked me what sustains me and what has sustained me. And I think the first thing is that I'm in really good touch with my kids and my grandkids. And we've been through some very big difficulties together, and our connection is better than it ever has been. That's the biggest thing that sustains me. When I'm connected in a positive way with other human mammals, 
that's really what sustains me. Even this meeting with you is among the things that sustain me. I love heated agreements. I love talking with people who are really there with me. I love snuggling. I love hugging with the right people. Um, and I can't exist without it. And I'm old, so most of my, all of my close friends are dead. Um, my husband's dead. Um, I had very close friends in my field who are also all dead. So meeting the younger generation, and I consider Serge the younger generation, is very marvelous for me. And I want to keep up that connection. I live in a co-housing community. I moved there because I didn't want to live isolated after my husband died, and I didn't want to move into a senior center where we'd spend time with people dying and people talking about their medical problems and playing mahjong. I didn't want to do that. So I moved to a multi-generational co-housing community um, about 21 years ago now. It's multi-generational and I learn from the younger people because the younger people stand on the backs of the older people. And I'm keeping up, I hope, with a lot of the stuff that the sick people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s are teaching me. And that sustains me too. But a little bit is difficult because they regard me as their mother and they think, well, she's old. So it's a struggle. And when I don't have enough connection, I get depressed. That's literally true. I think that it's really tough. Yeah. And loneliness is a big problem in our culture. We don't live in small groups anymore. Loneliness is a huge factor in our culture today, probably bigger than it ever has been because we can travel around the world. So families split up and children don't live with their, anywhere near their parents anymore. Uh, grandparents don't have the role that they used to have. And I get sicker people in my, in my practice than I've ever had before. I'm very relieved when some nor normal neurotics come in and I can really help them. But the amount and depth of the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes into my office is really appalling. And we have to learn somehow how to live in smaller communities. I guess that's why I'm in a co-housing community. There are 70 of us there. So we each know each other and we're working to become, um, to be accepting of all sorts of differences and to support each other. Fracturing families and communities and living in huge communities like this city of New York, you can't keep track of each other so people can get away with doing things that they could never get away with doing in smaller families and smaller communities. So they don't have the same ethical imperative that they used to have. And because they don't have enough connection, 
they're reacting in violent ways. The other thing that sustains me is curiosity about the world and my hope that I can somehow contribute to human mammals being able to continue to live on this planet in a way that can nourish them. And I'm very concerned about the future in that respect. I've been a sec there are two things that I'm really concerned with. One is the environment and the increasing formation of deserts. A third of our planet is now desert and it's increasing. The other thing is we're overpopulated and uh, birth control, sex education has been a major issue in my life which grew out of my interest in the work of Reich. So I wound up writing a book called The G-Spot and Other Discoveries About Human Sexuality, which has, was a New York Times bestseller and which has our original research project, my husband and I, Women and Bioenergetic Analysis, because women's voices weren't heard, and so they began meeting separately from the men but they never really dared to say what they really were thinking, so we gave them a chance to do an anonymous questionnaire. And that led to my meeting the authors of the G-Spot book. And I insisted that that study, at least in an abbreviated form, be included as an appendix in the G-Spot book. I said I'd take my name off if they didn't do that. <laughs> so information about bioenergetic analysis got into about 18 countries and about 12 or 14 languages, got around the world, including in Afrikaans, Norwegian, Chinese, not on the mainland, but on Taiwan. So it was a way of publicizing something that I cherished, which is body psychotherapy added to the traditional, more orthodox use of words in therapy. So my two goals right now are to get decent sex education into the schools and to help reverse desert formation. There's a man named Dr. James DeMio who as an undergrad student at the University of Kansas replicated Wife's work with the weather. He had something he called a cloudbuster, which helped the blueberry growers in Maine get rain so that crop wasn't destroyed. Dr. DeMio is the first person to have replicated that work at a standard university and it got him his PhD. And he was paid by Eritrea, Namibia, Israel, and Russia to reverse desert formation in their countries and he's kept excellent records. He's not able to get funded to do a pilot study in the, in the Northwest or in the California area where they're desperately needed to put out the fires that are ravaging California right now. I would like to help him get funded to do a pilot study. And it cannot be done. It's easy to put together a cloudbuster. And in the book, Turn Left at Eastgate, it's reported that there was a cloudbuster at the NATO installation in southern England in Bentwood. 
But this thing has to be used by people who understand weather. They can't just put it together because it can be used destructively in the wrong hands. I want Jim DeMeo to be able to do a pilot study. I want him to be able to train other people to do the work properly. And I want to help reverse desert formation so human mammals can stay on this planet. So those are two things I want to do. <laughs> Uh, I want to make clear the difference between cloud busting and cloud seeding. Some people think that cloud seeding is a good way to restore the natural energy of the atmosphere, but it really isn't. It's like giving an aspirin to cover up the pain rather than dealing with the source of the pain, which is blocked energy. And so cloud busting is like acupuncture for the atmosphere. It doesn't do anything to cover up the problem, it just restores the natural flow of the energy, which we've been interfering with, with a lot of the stuff we do in the atmosphere. <laughs> Dr. Nemeo runs the Oregon Biophysics Lab in Ashland, Oregon. It's a 301k not-for-profit organization. You get tax credits for donating to him. and. If this interview gets him some money, I will be ecstatic. <laughs>